Welcome in to another new podcast from Codings Pro Magazine. As always, I'm your host, Ben DuBose, news editor with the AMP Publications team. Earlier this month, our friends at our sister publication, Materials Performance Magazine, hosted a roundtable conversation titled Sustainability and the Future of AMP. Carrie Cole, the editor of MP, was the host, and the guests were Sandy Williamson of Williamson Integrity Services and Cal Chapman of Chapman Engineering. Both men deal with coatings as part of many projects related to their job, and Sandy is actually a past president of NACE International. Both men are actively involved in a leadership capacity within AMP as well. With all that in mind, their conversation is certainly of relevance to our audience here at Coatings Pro as well, so I'm going to play that back for today's episode. It will start with both Cal and Sandy introducing themselves, and then the questions will come from Carrie. Here's Cal. My name is Cal Chapman. I have a business called Chapman Engineering Incorporated. Uh, we're based in Texas in the United States. I'm celebrating 35 years of leading this business as of this month, October. And I guess I can say I'm very proud of that. And I've also proven for one thing that I'm very stubborn. And in the history of Chapman Engineering, I actually started this as an environmental engineering and science company and then transitioned into corrosion control by the mid-1990s. And I can tell a couple stories in a little while about some big environmental efforts I was part of that led me to understand what sustainability means in a number of ways. Thank you, Cal and Sandy. Yes, my name is Sandy Williamson. Um, I've been a member of NACE and AMP for uh, 43 years. I had the privilege of being president of NACE International back in 2016-17. And I've been active in the oil and gas, offshore, onshore, downhole, plants and pipelines, and more recently, geothermal and lithium production, uh, which I'm really excited about. Um, more specific to what we're going to talk about today, I started a TEG back at the time in NACE, a technical exchange group in material sustainability uh, quite a few years ago. And uh, we're going to, as we, as Cal mentioned, we're going to talk some more details, but uh, I ran a technical program for the Canada Area Conference on Material Sustainability and the Circular Economy back in 2019. So I've been quite active in the sustainability space for the last few years. And as we're talking about sustainability, uh, how do you define sustainability and what ways is it affecting business and your segment of the industry? Why is it so important? Cal, I guess we'll start with well, you again, please. I will grab the talking stick. <laughs> uh, for me, uh, I'm I'm one who tries to describe sustainability in a number of different ways, a number of different settings, because everybody in whatever their industry might be, their business might be, even their lives might be, will define it somewhat differently. So to me, sustainability means you're going to maintain something so that it has a lot of reliability, something I as an engineer love to talk about. And it also doesn't pose unintended negative consequences. I'll start with that and see what Sandy wants to add to it. Well, first off, I think what's important to underline, Carrie, is that uh, as corrosion practitioners and professionals, we really are part of the sustainability space already. But I, I 
I want to throw out there, I guess, the definition that was brought up by the Brundtland Commission back in 87 uh, to the United Nations, because I think it still is relevant, even though it's talking about sustainability in a more in a broader sense. But that is that it's really development that meets the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs. And that's really what we're, we're trying to strive and, and particularly within AMP, uh, focus that really on the, the use of materials and, and, and protecting them through corrosion management and so on. And, you know, as far as ways that it's affecting, uh, you know, our industry and so on, I think most companies, I'm more involved in the energy sectors. And um, I think most companies today are actively discussing ways that they can they can make their operations more sustainable. Uh, I think everybody recognizes that, and there's a growing recognition that following sustainable practices has a significant return to their economic bottom line, which I guess is really important for any company that's in business. That's right. Very good. Thank you. So with AMP, we have the AMP sustainability task force and other initiatives coming down the pike there's a uh, sustainability symposium and expert panel session at the amp 2024 conference what else do you know of being done at an association level to help with this initiative well as you said um I, you know and, and this is comes back to my time and and when i was on the board the the amp board has clearly recognized sustainability in their mission and um, as you mentioned, they've now formed a task force to regularly report back to them what's going on in, in the association, what are the different activities, and are we furthering that mission? Um, and uh, again, I've got the privilege of, of um, chairing the symposium coming up in, in New Orleans at the annual conference where we're going to have a half day on material sustainability. Um, I'm just in the process of reviewing papers with our reviewers right now, and we've got a, a good full morning of papers. And then we're, we didn't want to just leave it with peer reviewed papers, although they're very, very important. Uh, we wanted to have the opportunity to bring in a number of industry leaders and association leaders for a forum and panel in the afternoon. So we're going to kind of make it what I might call a sustainability day on the Monday. At, at New Orleans. Uh, so we'll have a two hour panel in the afternoon. We're gonna kick that off by uh, giving Hongwei Wang, who's been leading the uh, writing of SP21466, which is a, a standard on material sustainability. I, again, I've been quite active in that. And we, uh, I think are producing a standard in very good time. It should be finished by this year and with the plan that we can actually have it out and circulated and, and let Hong Wei introduce that as part of the panel, which I think really will show uh, those attendees how, how AMP has embraced sustainability. But then, we'll, and again, as part of a panel, we'll be bringing in speakers from around the world and, and let them chat about uh, what sustainability, kind of like, I guess, our podcast, like what the sustainability means to them and then still leave a, an hour for, for discussion and so on. So uh, lots of activities uh, uh, planned, and I think it's going to be uh, you know, front row and center at the conference in New Orleans. 
Excellent, Sandy. Thank you. And Cal? Oh, Kerry, I've got several points. I'll try to interweave with what Sandy just gave us. I will be a yes, bit please. player in that uh, morning session in New Orleans with a presentation about how cathodic protection on metal assets submerged or underground, that is a sustainability practice when it's done properly. And I'll also speak, uh, I, I've been working with the materials performance staff on a number of things over the years, and my tendency is to tell stories, studies of basically how not to do things. Let's look at the ways people have done things incorrectly. Let's look at ways budget has been wasted. If you're wasting budget, that is not a sustainable practice. And so for me, the lessons learned, the case studies showing people some better practices to incorporate is really, really important. And actually, Don and I, Don Eden and I had an exchange uh, back in, it was either a, a Tampa board meeting or the Denver board meeting where we both emphasized how if a company is going to teach sustainability practices within its own organization, it has to drive that teaching all the way out to the people in the field. It's one thing to talk about it. You're not going to get it practiced unless it's their boots on the ground. So as we just have discussed, Materials Performance Magazine is starting a new uh, sustainability corner. I wonder, uh, in addition to that, as an association publication, what can or should MP do to help with the mission of sustainability? I, I would love to grab this first, Carrie, because I've talked with a number of people within the NACE now AMP uh, management for the last few years. Yes, please the point Sandy just made earlier, NACE, SSPC, with whom we've now combined and AMP, these have been organizations that were practicing sustainability in the 1940s and 1950s, beginning in North America, but then spreading around the world. Many of the things we have done as this big organization drive sustainability processes, but I don't think we've talked about it in that kind of language historically. And so one of the things I've done recently as part of this presentation that will uh, go forward in New Orleans is to look at things like the NACE impact study that was published in 2016 that described very well how investing in asset sustainability gives return on those investments. We obviously don't put a pipeline in the ground, build a great big bulk storage tank for potable water or oil or refined products, and expect to give up on it in 10 or 15 years. We have to yes. build those with good design, good construction, and then maintain them to get long, safe service lives. That is all sustainability process. Very good point. Thank you. And Sandy, what, what do you have in mind as far as uh, what MP can do? Um, I think Cal's pretty well covered it um, with his response. I think the I think our real our mission right now is to allow more and more of our members uh, through your publication or through our publication uh, understand what this word sustainability really means. And I think if you're going to have a regular article, I think one of the most effective ways is to have regular case histories being whether it's the cathodic protection sector, whether it's the coding sector and 
uh, we've got coatings papers coming up in New Orleans on this, um, whether it's in the steel industry, whether it's in pipelines, whatever. I think there's there's uh, and we've included what we can in the in the back end of the uh, standard that we're going to publish to to help people say, ah, that's my industry, and I'm you know that's something I'm familiar with. Okay, how did they go about it in there? And it, I think the light bulbs will start to come on as they see something more specific uh, being talked about in their industry. So I, I love the idea of having that sustainability corner or sustainability regular article. And um, yeah, I'll just take it in bite-sized pieces that way. I like that a lot. If I could add one quick thing, Kerry. Yes, I was sitting with MP staff in Houston just a couple of months ago to talk about the sustainability corner, some ideas. But I asked those staff people, okay, let's go through the articles you have in your last three months. How many of these do not have something that is sustainability related? Yeah, It's a small number. In other words, we are talking about sustainability, sustainable practices, case studies showing why you should have done it differently over and over again. We just have to change the language we present with a little bit to get people more aware. An excellent point. Thank you. Are there any trends or new technologies to watch for as it pertains to the sustainability push? What's on the horizon? <laughs> I'm going to take a short try at this, and then I think Sandy will probably have a lot more. For me, uh, again, strong engineering background, strong environmental background. I've only been in NACE now AMP for 25 years, so I'm far behind Sandy. I really did the environmental career for 15, 18 years before corrosion control became something I had to go learn about and practice. But for me, we have to be very careful about finding good energy sources that have the, obviously we want them to be clean energy sources, but to be sustainable energy sources, they have to be affordable to deliver to all of our population. That is maybe the biggest challenge we face, is to find things that the taxpayer does not have to subsidize. Subsidies are not sustainable, in my estimation. Sandy, from there, what would you like to add? Well, yeah. So this, to me, is where the service and the supply companies come in. Uh, um, and, you know, we're hopefully going to talk about that again more in, in New Orleans. But is it, you know, when they take a closer look at the ingredients that they use in their product or service or how they go about it, that's what we're really asking. You know, can they reuse materials at end of life? Can they repurpose them? Can they remanufacture? We all know the word recycle fairly well, but those other terms about reusing, repurposing, and remanufacturing, and there's probably a few others. But in other words, don't just throw away things at the end of, of life. Uh, because now you've, you're, you're basically going back to raw materials and more importantly, the energy required to convert those raw materials into something useful. So that's why we really like the concept of, of the circular economy where we, when we design something right at the outset uh, for the use of a material, we're also thinking right at end of life, um, what are we going to do or what could we potentially do? Like the steel industry is a is a is a fairly easy one. The aluminum industry is fairly easy because you can essentially remelt these products, and people are becoming more 
been more clever about actually separating different materials or elements uh, when you melt components and so on. And even, even plastics, that's a huge issue. All the non-metallic space that we deal with within AMP. What are we doing with all these materials at the end of life? And can we, can we somehow repurpose them? And ultimately, you know, when they look at this, uh, I think what we're going to be able to start to come up with and start to see is that these companies will understand that, you know what, uh, we found a way that, that this material could be used at the end of the life we had planned for it, but we're going to get a return by selling it to somebody else that they can use in some other space. And this is the whole concept of industrial symbiosis. Um, and I know that's a different term for some people, but essentially it's, it's where you have, the easiest way to think of it is where you have an industrial park where you have multiple industries producing multiple different products, but you, rather than them working in silos and working within their own <clears throat> plant gates, you get them to talk to each other and say, <clears throat> you know, we have a waste stream or so-called waste stream that we are no longer going to be using, say, the energy from it, whether it's heat, whether it's cooling, whether it's actually a product or a, a waste material from a process. But as it turns out, somebody else in that industrial park may have a process that could use that as a feed stream. And what a wonderful concept when you can have all these uh, different plants talking to each other, essentially helping each other and with materials essentially being used over and over and over again. And, and again, it comes back uh, with the fit with energy. And uh, we, you know, the world is, is, is challenged with energy and finding uh, ways to supply electricity or energy uh, for these processes. But uh, there's a massive amount of energy used for making raw materials. Anytime we can get away from that and uh, harvest the energy that's already been put into some of our materials by using them over and over again in the circular economy idea, I think um, the companies are starting to recognize uh, lots of different opportunities there. So I think that's a really good, I, I think a really good space for AMP to play into. Those are excellent points. Thanks to you both. And I wonder, uh, as we're talking about sustainability, it comes to mind to me that uh, a lot of people in the in the general public might think of oil and gas, for example, as sort of a uh, polluting industry. Is there some reputation management, do you think, that needs to be done to say, we're already doing a lot with sustainability and we're working toward even more in the in the future. Does either of you want to take that one? Well, yeah, I can I can give give a first crack at it. Being in Oil Central North in Canada here, um, yeah, we see that all the time with these companies. Um, and like I mentioned at the outset, uh, all most companies these days have got some. The, the word sustainability comes up in their corporate report. How well they cover sustainability, I think that's a part, a role that we can play in helping them with that. And then this kind of segues over to the the Impact Plus program that Cal mentioned earlier. Um, Elaine and her team uh, at AMP have done a wonderful job of rolling out Impact Plus, 
and helping companies understand how to be better managers of corrosion with the uh, understanding their corrosion management program. But what we did um, in the cost of corrosion study in Canada, when we, in, you know, we essentially sent out questionnaires to companies uh, a couple of years ago, we uh, on corrosion management to under, allow them to better understand what their practices are. We actually tacked on 10 more questions in the sustainability space. And as Elaine and I have gone forward with this, uh, we've really been working together to understand how can we, uh, if, if we're going to talk to a company about corrosion management, we may as well have some questions or have some discussion focused more on sustainability as part of that corrosion management. If you, you know, they go together so well. Um, and I think companies are wanting to get that recognition um, and uh, as and in many cases it's very well deserved recognition for what they do um, and uh, as you mentioned it, it doesn't hurt the reputation of uh, you know a fossil fuel industry uh, it gets enough knocks in the press as it is um, but there are many uh, efforts being taken to reduce the footprint of emissions. Uh, and that's really, as we go forward with the energy transition, which I think we we need to keep on that line, we're just going to help the energy transition uh, as we move forward, become more of a sustainable uh, energy industry too. Very good, thank you. And Kel? I've got actually a couple of things I will add to that. I like Sandy's comments and approach very much. First of all, in my history, as, as a, an individual working in first the environmental space, then the combined environmental and corrosion control space, I had a very interesting experience, actually obtained some U.S. patents related to it with my original business partners. In the late 1980s, the United States started heavily regulating underground fuel storage tank systems because their operation was polluting a lot of groundwater aquifers, a lot of water supplies for towns and cities, and various other problems. So between about 1989 and the late 90s, I worked on this, not exclusively, but very, very heavily. And what I learned through that process was, in just the United States, underground fuel tanks went into use in the very early 1900s. And we used them with no regard for spilling these petroleum products on the ground surface, leaking them into the underground. So you had about five generations of people enjoying the benefits of underground fuel tank systems without having to pay for any of the undesirable consequences. And then lo and behold, the mid to late 80s, we learned what was going on and we had to put fees together and go structure uh, state reimbursement funds to be able to allow many of these small companies, even mom and pop entities, to deal with these consequences. So what did we do over 70 years? Well, we did it the wrong way for a long time. Then we learned how to remediate the bad and then operate far, far better going forward. Now we have an underground fuel tank industry that rarely lets anything get out into the environment subsurface. Air emissions is another story I could talk about too. But again, we have to apply these lessons learned to similar processes 
And, and again, be much smarter about how we apply our precious resources. What are resources? They are money. They are energy. They are human effort. There's more on the list, but start with those three. Those need to be invested wisely, invested properly, or we're doing damage. Mm -hmm. Very good. And that segues nicely, I think, into the expectations for sustainability in the future. So is there a timeline and an outlook moving forward? Are there reasonable goals to attain by a certain year? And do you expect any actions to be taken either in the private sector or from government? And what might those be? Well, let's see. We only have thousands of opportunities. So which one to pick first? Carrie, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, uh, that's a provocative question. It's far too broad. But I will tell you that for my interests, I do work in the oil and gas space, as does Sandy. I work in public water systems, uh, water, wastewater utilities, even the electrical industry, power generation and distribution. And uh, so I touch a lot of different pieces of, let us say, infrastructure. For me, the investment in our pieces of infrastructure, you can drill down to the community level, then you can go up to the regional transportation of people and automobiles and loads on trucks railroads, you can go to water, wastewater. There are so many to pick, but in the United States, we passed an infrastructure investment bill, whether it's now resulting in some funding, I'm not even sure. But that is something that is critically important because, as I stated earlier, if we invest in maintaining preventive maintenance, repair work on a progressive basis, we keep that asset safer and healthier for much, much longer at much lower cost. I'll give you that one as as to me being the, I think, the, the brightest shining target. It's also a huge target. And you have to, the, the local, municipal and state, provincial entities, and then you have to harness the energy of the federal entities. And you've got to have the designers and the contractors, of course, in the private sector to go get the work done. Very good points. Thank you, Cal. And Sandy, how do you see the, the future of sustainability? Well, I guess more specific to, to AMP, I, I'm, again, very encouraged with being able to issue this SV21466 standard, which I think will, it's got lots of great information in about KPIs that companies can self-audit with and, and a hopefully gives the reader a much better understanding of what we really mean by material sustainability and stewardship. So um, I think the first thing is once we issue that is to help, you know, the members and organizations how I understand how they can better use that standard to improve their organization. And again, we've included a few case histories in the back. We, um, through the writing of this standard, we started going down a few rabbit holes, as you undoubtedly, you know, it's hard to avoid sometimes. Um, <laughs> so we, we kind of backed out of those rabbit holes and said, uh, let's keep this standard to be as general as possible, um, not try to uh, talk about a particular industry. So I think one of the next steps for AMP to take on would be, okay, to generate some further standards that are more specific to the cathodic protection space or some of our different supply spaces 
or even um, you know oil and gas pipelines and so on. How can we take this sustainability standard and um, make it more uh, more pertinent to our industry? Um, you know, we're planning on having a paper uh, talking about the nuclear industry, which is front row and center in a lot of people's discussions these days. And that's going to be very interesting for people to hear about um, how does sustainability fit into the nuclear industry. So the standard, I think, is the one thing that that uh, it's coming out next year. And then I think the way these the association works, we would expect, you know, in the coming one or two years, some some additional standards coming out. Um, I think we want to continue with, uh, you know, AMP now has these technical communities of interest. It's very important, I think, that we allow uh, members to come together at an annual conference or at other monthly meetings or whatever to to talk and, and network uh, about the issues. Um, <clears throat> and we also talked a little bit about the uh, the impact plus program um, I think that's been a very successful program for for NACE and now AMP in helping companies achieve their financial goals better by understanding that corrosion management does affect that bottom line and weaving in the the sustainability concept with that will be will be really important and then the finally the the one that's a bit of a I think a, a real challenge for as we look at AMP international, if you will, on an international basis. And I know it's a it's a front row and center for Alan Thomas, our new CEO, is advocacy. And how do we uh, how do we get, as Cal had mentioned, regional, you know, municipal, regional, provincial, state, whatever, uh, and federal governments, how do we how do we get their attention with this? Because you know, move the politics aside. This is a bipartisan type of issue. This is something that makes sense no matter what stripe you are. Absolutely. And, um, you know, we don't want to get too much into the climate change rhetoric side of things. I think we've got a really good uh, bipartisan message to be able to bring forward with our policymakers, uh, let alone the business leaders. So I Advocacy, I think, is very, very important with this. How do we get this message out? And one of the ways is through conferences. As we again, if we we've got a standard that we can stand behind, um, and then we have some maybe some area or you know amp sponsored one day seminars, whatever. Let's let's keep the ball rolling on this and allow those people that that want to get more information, give them that opportunity. So. Um, that's that's the thing I think that's most important and probably the most challenging is uh, the advocacy side of things. Sandy, if I if I could add to this just one thing, and that that's you gave us some phenomenal content right there. To me, advocacy advocacy is almost always education of whoever mm -hmm. it is you're sitting with. We as an organization have some very strong messages to teach with, teach about, you obviously have to fit it to your audience, whether this is a regulator, whether this is a politician or the political staff. I work with a lot of cities on maybe the client has an environmental problem. Maybe the city has public water system corrosion control issues. We get to teach them what to do better. So both within AMP for our own education processes, but especially reaching outside the organization 
into the general public in all these ways, how can we get our people to educate effectively every chance they get? Now, I've come to the end of my prepared questions, and I'm going to give you time for closing thoughts, but is there anything I haven't asked that you feel like uh, our listeners would also need to know here? From my perspective, uh, Carrie, I think the the questions were bang on. I think I think I think it's it covers the the topic well enough for the listeners. And you know, from my perspective, it's you know, from a closing thought perspective, is is get involved. Uh, you know, AMP's been a wonderful organization to network with and to learn with over the years for for myself and I know for Cal as well and and our membership. So. I'm looking forward to seeing people in and hearing their sustainability stories uh, at the at the venues that we have coming up in New Orleans. And I think we just, you know, the more opportunities we've got to get together and share, uh, the more we're going to make progress on this. I, I would give emphasis to one point I touched on earlier, and that is for every person in every job, make your budget get the work done effectively, cost effectively, you're not going to get the second amount of money to redo what the first amount of money was supposed to do. And yet I see this happen time and time again. If you're going to let somebody waste your money, that's not a sustainable practice. All right. So I'll give you a chance at this time to uh, give any closing thoughts. And uh, in particular, looking for a a call to action if our listeners want to know more information is there some place you would uh, direct them yeah as, as i mentioned earlier i think the 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 call for action is is uh, you know get involved with the technical community of interest that we have established on material sustainability we're going to have a half a dozen excellent papers covering coding cp nuclear uh, uh, inhibitors and so on that will be uh, issued uh, as part of the proceedings. And I think the, the the panel discussion will be a really good chance to sit back and, you know, listen to what's going on and, and uh, get involved uh, with the technical community of interest. And I think they'll, they'll find it very rewarding, uh, both personally as well as I think for their organizations. Thank you, Sandy. And Cal? I have two messages in closing here. First, a thought that strikes me from something we went uh, over earlier. A lot of companies, I think, have success stories that have sustainability in their roots. They should tell that story to the public. For my clients who are in oil and gas, petrochemical, yes, they do keep their heads down. There's a lot of flack being thrown around too frequently. I think they do have successful operations, improvements in operations. They could advertise, they could show, we have accomplished a more sustainable process, practice, whatever. I think that would be a great positive message for them to put out. That's one. Sandy emphasized how people should be getting involved in the technical communities, at the conferences. And I'll just re-emphasize we have to educate one another and learn from one another about both our successes and our not successes. Let's mm -hmm. learn from the mistakes, but let's also learn from the positive things being done. 
Excellent insight there from Cal Chapman of Chapman Engineering and Sandy Williamson of Williamson Integrity Services. If you want to reach out to either of them, they're easily searchable on LinkedIn, and that would be my advice for where to start. With that, we'll bring this episode to a close. For Cal Chapman, Sandy Williamson, and Kerry Cole, I'm Ben DuBose, and if you want more resources from AMP or Codings Pro, just visit amp.org or codingspromag.com. And as for Materials Performance, which initially hosted that podcast, they are discoverable online at materialsperformance.com. While at those sites, if you search for sustainability, you should be able to find a number of related articles. With that, we'll wrap up. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with another new episode.